and we'll read from verse 1 to 17. Exodus chapter 20 from verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that, it may, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male or female servant, or his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Let's pray and ask God to lead us as we think about his word. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you that uh, you're a speaking God and a God who has made himself known and we ask that you would make yourself known to us now uh, this morning, uh, that you would open our hearts and our minds so that we would uh, see you uh, and believe in you and trust you and put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, that we would love you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and that we would love our neighbour as ourselves. Lord, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been uh, on a long car trip or uh, invited somebody over or been invited over to somebody else's house and you've thought to yourself, what on earth are we going to talk about? Uh, what are we, what, you know, we're in the car for two hours or we're going to be there for dinner and what, what's the conversation going to be like? Uh, what will I say? What will they say? Uh, it can be stressful uh, sometimes wondering what those conversations will be like and how they unfold. Uh, but it can be stressful as well to think to ourselves, what is it that God would say to us if we were to meet with God? Last week when we looked at the book of Exodus, we saw that God came to speak to his people. He came to meet with his people. And what did God say? What if God, was appear to, uh, God, if God were to appear to us now, what would he say? What would you think that he might say to you? 
Uh, perhaps you might think he'd say, you're doing really well, keep up the good work. Uh, or you might think that he'd say something about his wonderful plan for your life. Uh, what kind of job you'll have or, or uh, the family that you'll have or the house that you'll live in. Well, here in Exodus chapter 20, uh, we have one of the most extraordinary moments in the whole Bible because this is one of the few moments where God speaks from heaven. In the, in, uh, the last chapter, in the chapters before, God had spoken to Moses and then Moses had spoken to the people. But here in Exodus chapter 20, God speaks himself and the people hear. God speaks from heaven and he gives them uh, these words that, we, that uh, Jordan read for us. He gives the people the Ten Commandments or these ten words. They're kind of ten dot points, if you like, about what it means uh, to live in a relationship with him. In the next few chapters, uh, if you flick over into the next few chapters, you'll see there's lots, of more, there's lots more words that God has to say, lots of uh, laws with lots of details. But these ten words, these ten commandments, if you like, are the kind of the core principles, the, the summary, the dot points of what it means to live in a relationship with God. And so what we're going to do this morning is to dig into those ten points and to think about what it means for us to live in a relationship with God and what it means for us this side of the coming of the Lord Jesus uh, to live according to these uh, core principles. So there's two, uh, uh, two groups really within the Ten Commandments. The first four commands are about how we relate to God. And the second six commands are about how we relate to each other. So command number one is in verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. So God says that he is to be the only God that we recognize, the only God that we serve as our creator and our sustainer and as our redeemer. God has this exclusive claim on our life. We belong to him. He owns us. He owns our life. And he must be the most important thing in our life. He must be the one that we love with all our heart. He must be the one that we trust and rely on. And yet so often we love other things more than God and we trust other things more than God. We might love our spouse or our uh, boyfriend or girlfriend or friend or family more than God. We might love the things that we have more than God. Our house, our, our possessions, our car, our bike. Uh, and, and we trust in those things. We don't just love them, but we trust them. So we trust them to keep us safe. We trust our friends or our family to keep us safe. Or we trust uh, the things around us to make us happy and to fulfill us and to give us satisfaction. We trust in our work to make us happy. But God calls us not to love those things more than him, not to trust those things more than him, but to trust him most of all, to have no other gods before him. Command number two is in verse four, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath uh, or on the waters below. That command uh, maybe at first seems very similar to the first one, but the difference is that this command is about making God according to the image that we have of him, or, or rather not making God according to the image that we have of him. And instead, instead of making up God, 
uh, according to what we think, serving the God who is actually there. So often, instead of loving God as he really is, we make up a God in our own minds who fits our own agenda. So we might say things like, well, I could never believe in a God who was like that. I could never love and serve a God who did that. Uh, Or God couldn't possibly act like that. He wouldn't do that. Uh, Or God could never expect that of me because he just wants me to be happy. When we say things like that, what we really mean is, I don't like the God who is there. I want God to be like me. But God calls us to accept and love and worship him for who he is rather than who we think he should be. That means that our worship and our love of God needs to be based on truth and it needs to be shaped and moulded and guided by how God has revealed himself to us in the Bible. So if we want to know God, we need to understand who he says he is in the Bible. God says, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall worship and love me for who I am, not who you think I should be. Command number three is in verse seven. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That command is not so much about blasphemy, uh, you know, taking God's name in vain, uh, using God's name flippantly. Rather, it's about misrepresenting God. There are different ways that we can misrepresent God. So we might misuse the name of God by claiming that God will do something when we don't know that he will. We might say to someone, God has told me that he's absolutely going to make you better. And we don't know that. But that's misusing the name of God. Uh, Or a, a, a pastor or a church leader or a Christian leader might say, God wants us to go in this direction, and now you all have to follow. But that's misusing the name of God. We misuse the name of God when we attach God's authority to our own ideas. But we can also misuse the name of God when we take the name of God on ourselves, but then live in a way which makes a mockery of God. That's what happened in the Old Testament. God says in Ezekiel that his name was blasphemed among the nations because of Israel. Why why was that? It was because they said, we're the people of God, and yet they lived in a way which dishonored God and dragged God's name through the mud. And we can do the same thing. We can say, I'm a Christian, but there's no reality to that. And so the way that we live drags God's name through the mud. We misuse the name of God. And God says he won't hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Command four is in verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This command is about rest Uh, In the verses that follow, in Exodus chapter 20, God explains the motivation for the rest. Uh, The motivation is the, the God's pattern that he used in creating the world, just as God made the world in six days and then took one day to rest. So we're also, we've been designed and built by God to work, to work for six days and to rest. 
But the kind of rest that God enjoyed when he finished making the world and the kind of rest that we're designed for, that we're built for, is not just ending work, but actually celebrating and rejoicing. Celebrating and rejoicing in the goodness of God. When God finished making the world, he looked back at all that he'd done and celebrated and rejoiced in what he'd accomplished. And God means for us, too, to do the same thing. Often, the, the view that we have of rest is quite thin. Uh, it, it, we, we think of rest as just not doing what we do during the week, not working. As long as I stop working, then that's restful. But actually, one of the most restful things that we can do, one of the things for which we have been created, is to not only stop, but to stop and to look back with thankfulness. And to say, look at all that God has done this past week. Look at all that God has done through me this past week. One of the great problems, I think, that we face uh, in our age is that we're go, go, go all the time. We get to the end of the week and we start the next week. And, and, and we never look back and we never say, thanks, Lord, for all that you've enabled me to do in this past week. Thanks for all that you've done. But God says that one of the key ways that we honour Him, one of the ways that we love Him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength is to get to the end of the week and to stop and to rest and to remember and to celebrate and to be thankful. Together these four commands that God gives the people here in Exodus chapter 20 capture the heart of what it means to have God at the centre of our lives. Jesus summarized uh, these commands when he said in, Matthew, in uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus summarized the summary. The Ten Commandments were a summary and Jesus said, I can get it down even shorter for you than that. Love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. The idea is for us to be totally committed to God in every single way. That's a high call. That is an extraordinary call for every moment of our lives, every thought that we have, every action that we take, every emotion that we feel, everything that we do to be totally captivated by God and subject to God. But that's our obligation. That's what it means to live in relationship with the God who made us. But it's not just our obligation, it's actually the most satisfying and the most fulfilling thing that we can ever do. It's living according to the manufacturer's instructions. It's living according to the way that God made us. It's in loving God with everything that we have that we find our deepest fulfillment and our greatest joy. So God says to the people, he's rescued the people out of Egypt, he's brought them to himself and he says, this is what it means to live in a relationship with me. It means to love me with all that you are and everything that you have. But then God goes on in the next six commands to explain to the people what it means uh, in the context of living with him, what it means for them to relate to each other. How are they to relate to to the people around them. And he gives six more commands. Command five is in verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's about how we relate to parents and also 
uh, other authorities in our life. Command 6 in verse 13, you shall not murder. Command 7, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Number 8 in verse 15, you shall not steal. Number 9 in verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. And command 10 in verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Those are all commands that deal with our relationship with each other. The first four commands are about how we relate to God and these are about how we relate to each other. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to honour those in authority over us, whether that's our parents or others in authority over us. We're to protect the life of others. We're to keep relationships pure. We're to honour the property of others. We're to not lie and deceive people. We're not to be jealous of the things that other people have. And it's helpful as we think about those six uh, commands, those six summary points, to realise that they are just summary ideas. They're, they're not saying everything that can be said, but they're really just kind of uh, highlighting the key ideas from which we can expand and build on what it is that God wants us to do. So when we read some of these commands, the opposite is also true. So we don't simply not murder, but we promote life. We don't simply uh, not lie, but we tell the truth. We don't simply not steal, but we are to be generous. And Jesus kind of picks up on those commands in that sort of way when he speaks in the Sermon on the Mount. And he shows that these commands actually run much deeper as well. So Jesus says it's not just that we shouldn't murder, but we shouldn't even be angry. He says in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. It's not just don't murder, but, but don't be angry. Or, or, or Jesus goes on. Uh, it's not just adultery, which is the problem, but lust. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And the commandments themselves already in Exodus chapter 20 are already begin to push in that kind of direction. So commandment, the last command that God gives to the people is very much like that. The last command is about coveting. The last command is, is all about what happens in your heart. That co command shows it's not, just, it's not just about our actions, but it's about the desires that we have. Our desires need to be pure. And in fact, uh, covetousness or jealousy or you know wanting w what others have that that desire lies at the heart of many of the other sins uh, that are there in those ten commandments we kill and we hate because we don't have other people have things that we want they're better at us uh, better than us at something or or they, they have things that we want, or, or we commit adultery because we want the wife or the husband of some other person. Or we steal because we want what our neighbour has and we don't have. We lie and we cheat because we want more for ourselves. Our desires, our wrong desires, lie at the heart of all these sins. 
Well, Jesus says that at the end of the day, all these commands can be summed up as well with the following words, love your neighbour as yourself. God says that living his way in his world means loving others. Loving others as ourselves. It means giving them the honour that they deserve. It means protecting their life and preserving their life. It means speaking the truth to them and speaking the truth about them. It means honouring their relationships and honouring our relationships with others. It means respecting and preserving their property and being thankful for them rather than jealous of them. And it's important, I think, for us to stop and to, to reflect on how we're going with those things. How are we going with relating to the people that God has put around us? How are you going with loving others? How are you going with giving them honour? Not just not tearing them down, but actually honouring them and, and caring for them. How are you going with protecting and preserving their life or speaking the truth about them rather than tearing them down with the things that you say? How are you going with honouring their relationships? How are you going with honouring the relationships that you're in? How are you going with respecting and preserving people's property? How are you going with being thankful for people rather than jealous of people? Again, to live like that is a high call, but that's the way that God has made us to live. That's the way that God calls us to live before him. It's our obligation to him as our maker and it's our obligation to each other as people made in God's image. We're to love the people that God has made. But again, it's not just our obligation, but it's actually the way that we were built. It's the most satisfying and the most fulfilling way that we can live because it's living according to the manufacturer's instructions. It's living according to the way that God has made us. God called his people. He rescued his people out of Egypt. He brought them to himself so that they could know him and live in relationship with him and so that they could live in perfect unity and harmony with each other as well. God speaks to his people and outlines for them what it means to live in his presence under his rule and under his blessing. So God gives these people these words. He speaks from the mountain. He speaks to them in person. But when the people hear those words, they freak out. You might remember if you were here last week that at the end of this whole episode, you know, there's this great vision or this great anticipation of meeting with God and God coming down to see the people and, 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 uh, and, and God speaking. And finally God speaks and they're terrified. And the thing that, that they're most terrified by is, is not just the lightning and the thunder. It's not just the trumpet blast. It's these words that God speaks that terrify them. Now look at the next few verses. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and, and, and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. 
They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, Speak to us to yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. God's spoken to them in the words of the Ten Commandments and they're terrified. They're terrified because what God has set before them is an impossible goal. Here's this God, mighty, set above the heavens, who outlines what it means to live in a relationship with him and the people hear those words and they freak out because they can't do it. Jesus summarized the same goal when he spoke from another mountain many uh, centuries afterwards. Jesus said to the crowds, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What does it take to be in a relationship with God? Jesus says the same thing that God said when he spoke to the people in Exodus 20, chapter 20. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the end goal of the law, for us to be perfect like God. You might think that when God speaks through Jesus, he might lower the bar and make it more accessible for us to get to God, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't say, well, you know what? Uh, God spoke like that in the past and, and now I'm speaking, but you know, it's going to be easier from now on. God knows you can't get up to that level and so I'm, we're just going to lower things down a bit so that it's a bit easier for you to get in. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, you know what? The bar is still as high as it ever was. We need to be perfect as God is perfect. The grace and the kindness that comes through God in Jesus is not that God lowers the bar. The grace and the kindness of Jesus is that he keeps the bar exactly where it is. But God does for us and in us what we can't do. And even in Exodus chapter 20, that grace is on display. The sequence of events in Exodus is really important. God, before God comes and speaks to the people and says, this is what it means to live in a relationship with me, he, he, he rescues them out of slavery. He carries them on eagle's wings. He does what they could never do. He shows them before he speaks to them that it has to be him who does this, that they can't do it. And finally in Jesus, God shows us the way that he means to do that and means to carry us on eagle's wings to himself. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. How can we achieve, how can we find that righteousness that, requires, that God requires of us? How can we find that perfection that's needed to live in the presence of God? Uh, God says that it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of everything that the law points to so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. The righteousness and the holiness that God desires and which the law summarizes isn't found in the law itself. It's not found by reading it uh, as carefully as we can and trying as hard as we can to do it. The righteousness that God desires, God requires of us, is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's found by faith so that everyone who believes 
Paul says. It's found in Jesus' death, which brings forgiveness for our breaking the law. And it's found in Jesus' powerful resurrection that brings strength and power to live for God. Well, what does that mean for us as we live this side of Jesus? What does it mean as we read the Ten Commandments? Well, first of all, it means that the way for us to, to, to know God and to be with God is not through knowing the law and trying really hard. We can't get to God that way. We can never reach the perfection that the law requires. Because we can, even if we knew 100% what God wants us to do, we can't do it. As you reflect on these 10 words, these, these are just the summary points, but even as you reflect on the summary points, you'll probably find loads of areas in your life where you just are not living the way that God wants you to live. There are areas where you're dishonouring God, dishonouring the people around you. The good news of the gospel, the great news of the gospel is that we can acknowledge that to God. That we don't need to be afraid, but that we confess, can confess our sin to God and trust that he forgives us through the death of Jesus in our place. Instead of trusting in the law or our goodness, we can look to Jesus and the forgiveness that comes through him. But the second thing uh, that it means is that we don't abandon the written law of God. Uh, Even though the law can't save us, even though the law is just a kind of a summary of how to live for God, it's still a helpful summary. It still tells us about what it means to live with God. Uh, it, it, it gives us the wisdom that we need uh, in order to live for God. The law, as we understand it, as it in its fulfilment in Christ and uh, in the New Testament, it helps us to know what pleases God. And without the law, we wouldn't know what it means to please God. We wouldn't know what it means to love God. We wouldn't know how to love one another. But the law and the Bible give us wisdom to know and to understand God. And so we need to read the Bible. We need to understand it. We need to understand God's laws, understand what they reveal about loving God and loving our neighbour, and we need to seek to do it. But even as we do that, we do that in a context of grace and love and compassion of God. We need to remind ourselves every day that the way that we're transformed is not by Focusing our attention on the law, the way to grow and to be transformed is by continually turning to Christ, acknowledging our sin to God, receiving and trusting in his forgiveness, and praying for the Holy Spirit to unite us more and more with Christ so that his life transforms and changes our life. Just because we can't do what God requires, it doesn't mean that we give up seeking to please God. Because actually, salvation is being transformed into the image of Christ. To be saved is to be saved, not just from the judgment of sin, but to be saved from sin itself. 
When God spoke to the people uh, from the mountain in Exodus chapter 20, they freaked out. But it wasn't because the law wasn't good. The law shows us what it means to live in a perfect relationship with God. They were terrified, not because the law wasn't good, but because they couldn't do it. But in Jesus, God forgives us when we fail and he changes us to be like him so that one day the law will be totally written on our heart and the love of God and the love of each other will be written deeply and engraved on our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness of your law, uh, your instructions which show what it means to live according to your plan and purpose. Our Lord, uh, we thank you that it's good and in so far as uh, insofar as we've been able to live in, in those ways and to love you and to love uh, those around us whom you've made, Lord, we've tasted some of the, the goodness of that. Uh, but Lord, we want to acknowledge too that so often we fail, that we don't even come close to loving you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Lord, our interests are so divided, divided between you and the things that we have, divided between you and the relationships in our lives, divided between you and our work, our hopes and our dreams. Lord, please forgive us for that. We ask that you would be enthroned in our hearts by your grace so that you would be everything to us. We'd love you with all our being. We would find the true joy and happiness that comes from loving you as we were made to love you. And Lord, we confess that so often we fail to relate to those around us in a way that honours them as people made in your image. Lord, we put ourselves first and we trample on the rights and, the, uh, and on the lives of others. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for that. Uh, we pray that you would help us to seek restoration with those uh, whose lives we've uh, damaged and hurt. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to love them, uh, to treat them as, as you call us to treat them, to love them uh, as ourselves, to honour them, to protect them, preserve them, uh, to protect what belongs to them, to not covet what they want, uh, what they have, uh, but to be thankful for who you've made them and the gifts that you've given them. Lord, we know those things are so far beyond us, but we thank you that in Jesus Christ uh, we're perfect. Uh, you've made us perfect, you've declared us perfect, and you're making us every day more and more like him. Uh, and that when he returns, we will once and for all be raised uh, from the dead, free from sin and every evil. Uh, and that we will be able to live with you in perfect unity, perfect harmony. Uh, Lord, we pray for that great grace and that great gift. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.